soon as possible. But for the rest of us, I want you to say this. It's time. Oh, come on. It's time to start. So we're talking about, we're going to use a, take a break. We're doing a series on discipleship, but we're going to jump off that and do a little, uh, because it is the end of the year. So I feel like I want to bless all of you that, that devoted yourself and came this morning, uh, on this, um, lovely day. I want to help you with, uh, your future. Anybody need any help with their future? All right, come on. We're going to do futuring. Futuring, making changes towards your destiny. Say this, I am created on purpose, with a purpose. You are, for sure. So I want to just kind of run you through, say this with me. This is a very simple template. All right, so I'm going to, if you need to take notes, you should take notes today. If you want to take pictures of the screen, you should take pictures today. So I put the screen up there because everybody wants me to show me what I'm teaching them. So, and you know, you take pictures of it or anything like that, but this is a a very simple and a very basic template about moving, say this, moving from where I am to where I need to be. I'm going to get all this in your heart. Say this, the bridge between where I am and where I need to be is called change. That's right. From where you are to where you need to be, there's a bridge and it's called change and you have to cross it. You say this, okay? We've got a lot of confessions going on here this morning. Say this, my todays determine my tomorrows. So there's three, there's three modes of life. Jesus loves you too much to leave you the same. And you and any, I'm going to give you three modes that you find yourself in. And I'm going to show you five key areas of your life. And in all five key area, all five of the key areas of your life, you are in one of these modes. So the three modes of life are survival, success, or significance. The five key areas of your life that we all must manage or neglect. But these are the five areas that have an impact on your life. And it has an impact universally upon all people. Faith, family, finances, future, and friendships. And so the template looks like, the simple ideas looks like this. It's like a lot of people in their faith, they're in, a, they're in an area of survival. Different people are in their faith, they're in an area where their faith is succeeding and they're bearing the fruit of the, of, of the things that God has said for them. Other people are, are developing themselves and are moving into a significant. So in your family, you're either surviving in your family, you're succeeding in your family, or you're, or you're being having a significant, uh, something significant happen in your family. All of us have those five areas and all of us are are somewhere in those three modes in those key areas. The issue isn't where you are. The issue is, is where you're called to be. Jesus desires to lead you from survival to success. And success is not the resting place. Significance is always the goal. Surviving is you're living hand to mouth. You're just getting by. Whatever it may be, your relationship, your marriage is just holding on. You and your kids are just holding on. Whatever. You and your job is just holding on. That's survival. You got enough money to pay your bills, but then you're broke. You're surviving. Okay. Success is things are working. Things are stable. Things are moving forward. And I have a little bit more that I can share and help others with significance means the world has known you lived. You're doing something that impacts or changes the world. What does the world look like? The world can be your family. The world can be your community. The world can be your neighborhood or it can be the greater world. You understand what I'm trying to tell you? You're all called to significance. Most people don't believe they're called to significance. They don't believe it. 
You're created by a significant God for significant things. You're brought into this world for a purpose. The Bible tells us in Acts 17 that God foreordained the time in which you would live and the place in which you would live. You were born where you were born because God foreordained it. It says he set the boundaries of man. And he also put you in this time, in this place for a reason. You're in Miami for a reason. I don't know if you've ever considered that. Say, I'm here for a job. No, if you're a Christian, your life is bound to the gospel. Your life is bound to the kingdom. People don't realize that. They wonder why all the dysfunction happens in the life of a Christian. It's because you're out of balance with the gospel. The, the out of balance isn't God doing anything to you. You are symbiotically bound. To, when you become to Jesus, you are symbiotically bound to his kingdom, not this one. And so when you try to operate as a Christian according to the ways of the world, guess what? It doesn't work. It isn't going to work for you. It isn't going to work for your neighbor. It's going to work. There's no Christian that can operate in the worldly manner and produce the fruit of the kingdom. It doesn't happen. That's why there's struggle. That's why there's, there's, there's ill effects. That's why things are dysfunctional and things do not operate as they should because you are bound to the gospel and you are bound to the kingdom. You are of the kingdom culture, not of you are not. You are in the world, but you are not what? You're not of it. You're in this place, but you are not a part of it. You're part of another system, another culture, another mindset, another thinking, another way of life. And until you understand that and begin to operate according to it, you will never manifest the blessings that God has for you. It's just that simple. God has blessings for everything. People go, well, God's doing something to me. Who told you that? God's not doing anything to you except trying to bless you. The Holy Spirit is not resisting you. He's revealing. The devil resists. The Holy Spirit reveals. I don't know if you know that or not. The Spirit of God shows you the problem. Right? That's all he does. He's not resisting you. The Holy Spirit is trying to elevate you. The Holy Spirit is trying to take you to a place that even you don't know you can go. But he does. He, he has a plan for you. A hope and a future beyond. Exceedingly, abundantly, above all you could ask or think. Is that true? If you're a Christian and you've heard that verse, you've got to come to terms with that. Is that true or is that a poem? Is that just poetry? Is that just Jesus trying to fill words on a page? Or are those words meant to invoke and produce a reality? That's the question. We have to come to terms with that. And if that is not the case in our life, if we're not seeing the abundant above all that we can ask or think, being consistent, I didn't say perfection. Let's say another one. It's not about perfection. It's about direction. Okay? It's not about, if you're a Christian, this has nothing to do with perfection. When you're following Jesus, this has nothing to do with perfection. It has, thank, aren't you glad? Thank you. I got one honest person, right? Has nothing to do with perfection. It has to do with direction. And inevitably, my holiness brothers or sisters come up to me and go, well, what do you do with the verse? Be holy, for I am holy. Be perfect, as your father in heaven is perfect. You know what I ask them? How you doing with that? How's that working for you? Jesus uses those verses to show us that we are incapable of producing holiness. You cannot. Anybody want to testify? I got a microphone. You want to come up here and tell us how holy you are? Because the next person I'm calling is your wife or your kids or the person that's nearest to you to tell us just exa- to testify or bear witness of that. You cannot produce holiness without the Holy Spirit. Let's just be perfectly clear. The Holy Spirit through you and in his presence and in his in in the spirit of God, you're holy. You love people. You're kind. You're gracious out of the spirit. You're you. You know, there's this duality of what we are. Our true nature is in the spirit. That's why we come and we can bear the fruit and we can see the things that God intends us. You can forgive when you're in the spirit. Can I get a witness? Right. When you're not in the spirit, you want to kill him and run him over with a car. 
Now, I know that just might be me, so y'all need to pray for me. But I know that's how you feel because you're human. You, you don't have the ability in and of yourself to produce the things of the kingdom. Only the Spirit of God can. And only the Spirit of God can produce those things if you are in partnership with Him. The Holy Spirit cannot manifest love through your heart until you get into His presence and allow Him to. It just can't happen. The peace of God. Let the peace of God that surpasses understanding guard your hearts and minds. I'm going to blow up all the religious cows this morning. Let the peace of God. Yeah, how's that going? I cannot produce the shalom and the peace of God. The peace and the shalom of God cannot even come into my heart or manifest itself to me in reality without the presence of the Holy Spirit. Period. Period. Yet the church vacates the Holy Spirit as if he's this you know, crazy Uncle Steve and we put him in the corner. He's the gift of the Father. He's the promise of the Father. He is the one who manifests all he, Jesus says, he takes from what is mine and declares it to you. You cannot have the things of Jesus without the Holy Spirit. Doctrine is not going to produce it. You can go to seminary and do study theology until your brain explodes. But you will not produce the things that Jesus has promised you without the Holy Spirit. So you think he's important? I should say so. And the Holy Spirit is working in every believer's life to bring you from survival. It's not God's intention to leave his people in survival. That is not God's intention. I quote you a verse. Jesus told the prophets told the children of Israel. The Lord spoke to the children of Israel. He said, are you homeborn slaves? Are my people house slaves? That's what he's asking them. And he said, if you're not, then why are you in the situation that you're in? Because you constantly follow your will or the will of a culture and will not yield yourself unto me. Are you homeborn slaves, Christian? We're the head and not the tail. Again, is that a poem? Is, he, is this poetry or is this truth? And if it's not truth, then we have to begin to ask the questions. Then why am I, why am I under and not over? Why am I constantly in a state of survival when God has promised me not just success? Success is merely a stopping point. The goal for all of God's people is significance, that the world would know you lived, that, th- that we would be significant in our generation, that we would see revolution and change and dramatic kingdom inbreaking in our time. This is his intent. You say, well, God's going to do what he's going to do, not without you. Again, this is a failure to understand the partnership that God has created. He created it with Adam. It was a partnership from the beginning. It's a partnership with Jesus from all the way through. You are a participant in this gospel. You are a partner in the living kingdom that God has set before you and has called you to. He doesn't want to leave you in survival. So if you're in survival mode and you just have accepted it, who told you that? Well, God must want me poor. Who told you that? No, I'm serious. Who told you that? Did your heavenly father ever tell you that? And if your heavenly father never told you that, then it's a lie. Because the Father, through Christ and the Spirit, is the source of all truth. And unless he said it, it doesn't matter. If he didn't say it, it's a lie. It's a lie. God never promised you bondage. God never, he, for freedom's sake, Christ has made you free. Are you in bondage? Well, I'm just in bondage. Things are never going to change. Who told you that? Whose voice are you listening to? Who? There's a whole point. You, you go to Genesis. You'll see Genesis 3. We're naked and we're afraid. And what's the Lord's response? Who told you that? Whose voice do you listen to that is not my own? 
we listen to everything. We listen to Dr. Phil. We listen to Oprah. We listen to the culture. We listen to the radio. We listen to the news. We adopt our mentalities, our heart, and our focus from those sources, not from his spirit. That's a problem. That's a problem. That's a huge problem. You are not ordinary, Christian. You're not ordinary. Why do you act ordinary when you're called to be extraordinary? Why? Why? Having begun in the spirit, Paul told the Galatians, you think you can do it in the flesh? I love that verse. Who has bewitched you? Who has deceived you? Foolish Galatians. Who has changed your line of thinking? You began this faith in the spirit. You're born again, right? Anybody remember that? When you're born again, whoa. That's a spiritual transformation. You're born of the spirit into the spirit. You begin at that point. What now makes you think you can fulfill it in the flesh? You can't. You can't. It's not a bunch of external curricular activities that is going to produce the kingdom of God. It's partnership in obedience, in faith with the things that he says. So we look at the five key areas of the life and we evaluate each one as its three modes. Where's your family? Is it in survival? Is it in success? Is it in significance? Where's your faith? Is it in survival? Is it in success? Is it in significance? Where's your future? Is it in survival? Is it in success? Is it in significance? Where's your finances? Is it in survival? Is it in success? Or is it in significance? Those are the five key areas of your life. And all five of those areas are going to be in some stage of those three modes. Just because they're in survival doesn't mean it has to stay that way. In fact, Jesus once loves you too much to leave you the same. So I'll give you an example and then we'll try to do some mechanics. So the point of this message is to try to give you some tools to evaluate, to see, to have some perspective. That's one of the things the Bible tells us to do. It's a word that's used circumspect. You know what circumspect means? It means you can see in all directions. Our faith is to have a circ. We are, we need to have the ability to see in all directions. We need to look at the different areas of our life and see if those areas of life aren't just in alignment, but are they producing the things that God intended them to produce? That's, that's the key. That's the answer. So what is faith in survival mode? Jesus is always bailing you out. Is Jesus always bailing you out? That's okay. That's okay. And do you know why? Do you know why? He will bail you out. Say it with me. Jesus will bail me out. Every single time. Do you know why? Say it with me. Exactly. Good girl. Say this. Because he loves me. That's right. He he will never never not come when you call. He will never not help you when you call. His issue isn't helping you. His issue is going, are you tired of this situation, Kevin? Are you tired of every time it's an emergency? You know? I'm the fire alarm and I come running to you every time. Or do you want something different? No, Lord, I like survival. I said, they're Christians. This is literally American Christianity, right? American Christianity, a lot of people, Jesus only matters unless there's an emergency. No thought of Jesus throughout the year. No thought of church. No communion of the spirit. Nothing. But God forbid their life start falling apart. And man, there's a train at the door. It's true. The Bible calls it like summer snow. That's what it means. A faith that melts immediately after it's produced. That's not God's intention for you. God's intention for you is not for you to live in crisis mode all the time. Or to feel this guilt and shame. Oh, I need Jesus again. Listen, don't feel guilt and shame because you need Jesus. That's okay. You're created to need Jesus. 
So there's no guilt and shame in needing Jesus. The idea of not needing Jesus is that you get out of this thing. If you've got a 40-year-old child and that kid is still sucking on the bottle and laying in diapers and there's nothing physically wrong with them, is that an issue? Come on, any parent, is that really what you want to produce? You want to produce a 40-year-old healthy child that lays around the house in their diaper and wants a bottle every five minutes? And you think God gets honor out of that when that's what his sons and daughters are? Been in the faith 20 years and we still haven't to have our diaper changed? Be in the faith 20 years and we're still having to have, have to be bottle fed? There's no glory in that. There's no honor in that. That's not what you're called to. It's not. First Corinthians, well, here we go. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For on now tell, you're not able to receive it. You can't eat solid food. You still are on porridge. Jesus still has to cut your, your, your uh, grilled cheese up into six segments and cut the crust off and feed it to you by hand. Because you can't do it for yourself. You haven't learned basic, con- basic control, basic structures. You have never given yourself to such things. You're out of crisis mode all the time. Paul's talking to a church and he's saying, you guys should be a little bit more grown up at this point. We don't want to offend anybody, pastor. Don't call people to maturity. We don't want to do that. Talk to people where they are. No, I talk to people where God has called them. That's, that's the point. The scripture doesn't come down and nurture you and massage you. The scripture calls you higher. Somehow we've lost that. We've lost the understanding that we're called to call people higher. The purpose of the church, the pastor, the leadership of the church is to elevate, equip the people. Call them higher. We give them pinwheels and cotton candy, fish tanks, vibrating chairs, temperature zone controlled rooms. I'm all in. I would love to give you pinwheels, cotton candy. I'd like to have a glorious fish tank like the length of this wall behind me. I'd want a shark. That's what I want. And like some like sectional, like a shark here, barracuda over here, some crazy stuff going on. I'd like, that's what, I would love that. I'd love to have recliners and vibrating chairs with a smoothie bar. I'm all in on that. I'm all in. I'm all for it. However, we cannot, as long as, it's an, as long as it's a benefit and not the substance. But we make that stuff the substance and not the add-on. And what do we produce? Narcissistic, sugar-rushed Christians whose faith melts in the heat of the day. Just a thought. Oh, but, you know, everybody feels good when they leave. Nobody's challenged. Where there is no challenge, there is no change. Jesus is called the rock of what? Anybody know? He's called the rock of offense. Not because he's running around offending you, because he's telling you what time it is. You want to know why things are they are? He tells you. You want to know where you're supposed to go? He tells you. And that offends us. What do you mean? You know, we get all offended and react to something when we're supposed to humble ourselves. I'll use a Syrophoenician woman. I use this story all the time because it's a really clear one. She comes to Jesus. Jesus called her a dog. How'd you like that one? He called that woman a dog. You do not give what is holy to dogs. The bread is for the children, not for you. And she said, what did she do? Did she get offended? He said, your problem with me is you are not in covenant with me. You're asking me for something that doesn't belong to you. What you're asking for me is the benefit and the blessing that is provided to those who are in covenant with me. 
And you're coming to me and you're asking me for something that you have no legal or spiritual right to. I have no covenant with you. That's your problem. Out the gate. The Bible uses the word Syrophoenician for a reason. Because those reading those words would have known exactly who that woman was. She was a Syrian Phoenician. Detestable to the Jews. You would talk about ethnic prejudice. There you would have it. And Jesus did it on purpose. Jesus has no ethnic prejudice. Didn't bother him. He'll talk to a Syrophoenician woman. And so that was the appalling thing is she was Syrian Phoenician. It's not enough that she was Phoenician. She was Syrian. They hated the Syrians. They hated them. The Syrians had done a lot of damage to Israel in that time. They had ravaged their country. The Phoenicians were the most godless people on the planet. They sacrificed their children in open sacrifice and ceremony. They burned their babies alive in the fire. So you want to get an idea of who these people are? This is who these people are. And this is who Jesus is talking to. And she's coming to me saying, my daughter is sick. And he says, I, don't, I owe you nothing. But you know what she was? She, didn't, she wasn't offended. Christians get appalled and offended. Somebody says something to them. Oh, how appalled and offended. Is your faith that shallow? That you're offended? Seriously. Are you that shallow? Are you that insecure? Are you that, is that really where you're at? That the slightest thing that challenges you beyond the point where you're at offends you? And you got to go back to nurse on a bottle? You fill that category. You should be further along than you are, but I can't bring you there, Paul says, because you can't handle it. Just a thought. 2020 needs to be different, people. Our theme for this year is rise to the level of your birth. You are sons and daughters of the highest. That's right. You are sons and daughters of the highest. You are not house slaves. You are not common. You are not, you are not part of this culture. The bread doesn't belong to them. It belongs to you. The inheritance doesn't belong to the outsider. It belongs to the believer. And we are to take the inheritance that God has given us and we are to bring his glory to the world. That's the point. We're not to take his inheritance and glorify ourselves. We're to take the blessings that he provides for us, spiritual, natural, supernatural, all of it. And we're to bring his glory to the earth. That's the point. Faith in success mode looks like you're operating in basic principles of discipleship. You've reached the minimum standard. You know what the minimum standard is for all Christians? I'm going to tell it to you. Ready? Anybody, you guys should know it by now. It's our logo, the Radical Five. Everybody say it with me. Read your Bible. Pray. Commit. Connect to church. Financially give. And live on mission. That is a basic standard for all Christians. That is not the elite that is the radical minimum standard. Minimum. There's a minimum standard in, in jobs, correct? We know this. To be certified, to be, to be whatever, you are given a minimum standard. You have to meet the minimum standard or you don't get the blessing of the job. Is this correct? Some of you are in fields that require specific guidelines. Some of you have to qualify with training every year. Or every three years or every four years, you have to prove that you have met the minimum standard that this job requires. You don't think the kingdom has minimum standards? Jesus has no standards? We're all called to read our Bible. We like that. Oh, yeah, let's read our Bible. Woohoo! We're all called to pray. We like that. Oh, yes, bless God, Pastor. Commit and connect to church. I don't know about that. Oh, no, no. I don't know that Jesus forsake not the assembling of yourselves. You're called to commit and connect. Financially give. Well, I don't know about that. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. Just a thought. Jesus watched them give. Anybody know that story? We don't like to teach that. Jesus watched them. 
He's in the temple. What's he looking at? Anybody know? He watched the people give. Oh, Jesus doesn't care what I give. Who told you that? Not your Bible. He didn't tell you that. Live on mission. Take the mission of Christ into your neighborhood. Take the mission of Christ into your family. Take the mission of Christ into your workplace. How do you do that? That's the question. It's both generic and it's personal as it relates to you. There's generic principles, but there's interpersonal principles that relate back to you as an individual. Faith and success mode. You're operating. When you operate in those five streams and you operate in those five, in the radical five, blessing is inevitable. You are going to be blessed because you're reading your Bible. Anybody here? Come on. I had a woman say, God hasn't spoken to me in years. I'm like, start reading your Bible. She starts reading her Bible. She comes up to me like two weeks later. She's like, oh my gosh, the Lord has talked to me. So it's amazing. The Holy Spirit has a language and it's called scripture. The spirit of God speaks a language and it's called scripture. When he speaks, he may not quote a verse to you, but anything he tells you is going to relate to you as you understand it, but he's going to speak in context of the scripture. He may not go Isaiah 61 verse three says he's not going to do that. But he's going to relate to you in the concept, in the context of the scripture. He's never going to speak outside of scripture. He's going to speak in, co- in, coordinated, in a coordinated manner in a way that, that validates the scripture. And he's going to speak that to you in a way that you can understand. That's why if you're a baby, he's got to plug you with a bottle when he wants to give you steak and eggs. Okay? Just a thought. Uh, faith in success mode, faith that is, well, here it is, I'll give you a word, Working, work towards what is good, that you may have something to give to those who need. Success, faith, success is never about you. If you understand that the blessing is never about you, it has nothing to do with you. The blessing is about the Lord. It's about his glory. It's about taking what he gives us and giving to others, taking what he gives us, establishing his kingdom, manifesting his goodness in the earth. That is what it's all about. We, we've taught for generations that the blessing's all about you. Who told you that? It's never about you. The Bible never says it's about you. What you have, we are to validate one another. We are to give what we have and share with one another. First to the household of faith and then unto the world. That's what we're supposed to do. A faith that's significant. You know what a faith that looks significant is? Radical. All in. All in. I'm betting everything I have on the hand that Jesus dealt me. Jesus is everything and I'm all in. Everything that I do, ready? Here it goes. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the culture of the kingdom is the grid of my life. I do nothing outside of what it looks like from what he says, the Spirit of God says, and the kingdom grid produces in my life. What does that look like? Every decision you make is in relationship to the Holy Spirit, Jesus, the Word of God, and the kingdom. Does this decision line up with these? This is what it looks like significant. You say, we all do that. Do we? I don't think so. Not at all. All in means every decision, every relationship. Does this relationship, oh, we're getting on toes now. Does this relationship line up with the kingdom? Does this relationship line up with Jesus' heart? Is this relationship in a line with the Holy Spirit? Whatever it may be, intimate or personal or whatever, is this in alignment? The way that I eat, is it in alignment? Oh, your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. Just saying, I know I had a lot of cheesecake over the weekend, so yeah, I was going to bring the half that we didn't eat to church, but unfortunately it didn't make it past Saturday. (laughs) I'm like, that's it. 
cheesecake's got to go. The pumpkin pie didn't make it off Christmas Day, man. It was like, that was gone. Cheesecake, 50% made it past Christmas, but it didn't make it past Saturday. (laughs) Our business, our money, everything is filtered through that grid. Philippians says, pressing towards the goal of the upward call in Christ Jesus. I forget everything else. I leave behind what is not necessary, and I press. This is what faith significant looks like. I press towards the upward calling. It's not a, a, a faith that's satisfied in the average. It's a faith that hungers and longs for the significant, no matter the cost. No matter the cost. Yeah. And there is a cost. You can live in survival. You can live in success. But you're called to significance. That's what you're called to. Doesn't mean you're disobedient. Doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. God loves everybody that's even in survival mode. He's not going to work any harder than you. If you want to stay there, then stay there. He'll leave you. Stay right there. Success is not a resting place. Most Christians, when they're obedient to the gospel and to the kingdom, they reach a level of success because the Bible works. The kingdom works. So when you're operating according to the principles of the kingdom, it begins to produce fruit. And so people settle in the area of success. And they think everything's all right. But the problem that happens when you settle on success, the Bible says leanness comes into your soul. Leanness to teach you that you don't live by that alone, but you live by what I've called you to, by every word that proceeds forth from the mouth of God. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Come on, we all know this. If you're an American, at some point in your life, you've had some level of success. No matter what it is, you may not be Bill Gates, but you know we live in a culture where there is some harmony that's produced. We obey, even as a Christian, when you obey, you produce it. And what we tend to do is we tend to rest in that place. It's not even a rest, it's a settle. We tend to settle in that place. Israel did it. They were promised the entire land. They settled for half. Some of them didn't even go into the promised land. They settled on the other side of the river. They wouldn't even go in. They went in and fought for their brothers, and then they went back and settled outside of the covenant. A lot of Christians settle outside of the promise. Other Christians settle for half, 30%, 20%. Just settle. This is good enough for me. Israel with the tabernacle. Moses built the tabernacle. The whole argument was the size of the congregation and the size of the meeting, the foyer of the meeting area was smaller. So God told him to build an outer court where the people could come in. But the court was diametrically smaller than the size of the people that were invited into it. And the idea was is that not everybody will come, even though they're invited. The people that were actually willing to draw near the outer court, the people could come into It was the inner two chambers that they were not allowed. But they could come before the altar. They could come before the the laver. They were allowed in that area. They were not allowed in the two inner chambers because that was for the priests only. You understand? But very few people drew near. They were content to worship at a distance. Most Christians are content to worship at a distance. They're content. They don't draw near. One of the things they're afraid of is they're afraid of being exposed. Listen, Jesus already knows everything about you. What are you worried about? He knows all your warts. He knows all your fears. He knows all your brokenness. He counts none of that against you. What he wants to do is help you through it, not condemn you in it. Big difference. He's an ever-present help. Press towards the cries. Watch it say. Philippians 3.14. You want to know what Christian maturity looks like? It looks like this. I forget everything, I lay everything aside, and I get rid of everything that gets in the way of the upward calling in Christ Jesus. Let those who are mature think like this. 
You want to call yourself a mature Christian? Well, I'm all in. But do you think like that? Do you? We think mature Christians is because we can recite the word and fire it out like a machine gun. That's not what the Bible designates as mature. It tells us right here. Maturity in Christ looks like I get rid of everything and I pursue the highest calling for my life. I pursue my purpose, my destiny as it relates to him in me. What does that look like? Isn't that the question? That's generic and it's personal to you. There's an arcing calling over the whole church and there's an individual calling on you. You are called to be part of a collective. The calling of the collective is a separate calling, but you will have an individual calling. You have an individual calling within the collective and you have an individual calling into the world. Yeah, all of you do. What does that look like? Produce good. It's the concept of shalom. Produce good. Shalom doesn't mean peace. Sit in a lotus position. Zen peace come upon me now. The peace of God. You know, like we're a bunch of hippies from the 60s. Just like, yeah, the peace of the Lord, brother. You have no concept of what that word means. That word is shalom. And it means universal flourishing. It means to refabricate the broken threads. To find the fabric of society and weave it back together. To create good in the world. To glorify God and benefit all. That's what shalom means. The personal calling in a generic way over every believer's life is exactly that. We are restorative people because our father's in the restoration business. True. Your father's in the restoration business. I don't know if you know that or not. (laughs) You're called to bring peace to the world. Shalom. Universal flourishing. Some of you have ideas and concepts. You have met, you have an idea that will produce change within the world. You have an idea that will produce change within a society, within a people. Some of you are at that place. Others of you, you carry wisdom that the world does not have. You were to offer that wisdom and give that wisdom to all who will receive it. That's creating shalom. That's a purpose that you have in Christ Jesus. Not every purpose in Christ is to go to the jungles of South America and speak to the unknown tribes. That's not every, that's not highly unlikely, but your purpose is immediate and it's personal to you as well as there's a collective calling. You're called to be a part of both the collective calling of the church. You are called to participate in that the local personal church, the believers called to participate in that. And the believers also called to participate in their individual calling, both within the church and within the world. That's a challenge, ladies and gentlemen, we cannot treat that as a trite answer. And do you know why? Because Jesus believes more in you than you believe in yourself. Our problem is, I was telling my wife, I said, we spend so much time doing economic, philosophical, intellectual development, and we spend almost no time doing anything spiritual and developing ourselves into the spiritual. Almost none. Yet that's where our purpose is. That's where the power is, man. That's where it's at. And when you start partnering with that, it starts opening to you and you come alive. Don't you want to be alive? Most people want peace. I told my wife, I go, I don't want peace. I want to be alive. I'm not looking to like, you know, go to the ashram, burn incense and chant. Or the Benedictine monks, which is the Christian version of the Buddhist ashram. We have, you know, monks that chant all day. What are we doing? We're searching for peace. Really, that's God's purpose for you is to sit in a hole in, the, in some distant part of the world and just chant all day or recite. That's not his purpose for you. I want to be alive. And you come alive when you come into your destiny. When, and it doesn't mean you've reached it. When you start moving into the thing that you know you were born to do 
When you start moving into the thing that not only were you born to do, but you align that with God's purpose, whatever that may be, you come alive. You will never come alive in no other way. Everything else is an artificial component of that, or it's an accessory to that. You are in, um, relationships don't make you come alive. They do it for a season. Any married people in the room? Okay, been married 30 years. I know. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you for the witness. Thank you. Been married 30 years. Love my wife. But Jesus, Jesus is more alive to me. I love her. Don't, you know, nothing amazing, powerful. But at the end of the day, if I was to look at that relationship for the, to, to satisfy the longing within my soul, I would be found wanting. Because it won't do it. Come on. Can I get a witness? Right. It's true. Yeah, it's an artificial to, to what, and really it's not even just my relationship with Jesus. Because when you're relating to Jesus, and we have, we have a, a generation that they call carpet time. They just want to lay out before the Lord. I'm like, okay, lay out before the Lord, but get up and actually do something. Can we do that? We lay out before the Lord. Oh, just the Lord. Lay it out before the Lord. Oh, just all the glory. I'm all in, brother. I'm with you. Let's lay out before the Lord. But when we get up, can we actually do something after we've laid out before the Lord? Can we actually achieve something? Move forward. Because laying out before the Lord, most of you will even know that your relationship with Jesus, albeit satisfying, there's still a gnawing in your heart, isn't there? No, we wouldn't want to admit that. No, Jesus is my all in all. The longing is there because he put it there. That's why Christians fall away, because they never move into their destiny. Average church attendance is five to seven years. Did you know that? I know it's getting quiet in here. Like, well, I've been here longer. Th- I've been here longer than that. Well, happy day. I've been in church longer than that. Well, happy day. Good for you. But the average person falls away within five to seven years because they reach a level that they cannot get past. And the church does not help them go through that door. And so they wane. They wane. They feel that they have the knowledge, they have the understanding, but there's no access point or there's no leadership to take them to the place that they know. They don't even understand the calling within their own heart. And so they fall away. That's what happens. They don't fall away from Jesus, but they fall away from the very thing that will produce their destiny in their life. The church is, what's, the, church is the generator. If you think you can do it without the church, you're, you're sadly mistaken. There's no longer no long ranger Christians. The goal is to find the church that you can commune with, connect to, and that resonates within your heart and will take you into the place where the harmony and the destiny of your heart is calling you. You may not have a clue, but you just feel it. Movements are felt before they're seen, ladies and gentlemen. That's the point. We get insignificant. We feel in our hearts, even in our relationship with the Lord, that this isn't enough. And the church has no answer. Listen, how do you, how do you know this, Kevin? Because, say it with me, he's that guy. That's right. I'm that guy. I'm that guy. I've been all in from out the gate. I had my foot on the gas from, the, from day one with Jesus. Never took it off. Jumped out of the plane. Didn't even know if I had a parachute on. I'm in. Oof. Geronimo. That was me. And I reached a point where there, I knew there was more. And I could go no further. And I had no one around me to actually tell me anything different. Oh, you just need to be content, brother. You need to be content. Anybody ever heard that? said that to you? You just need to rest in the Lord. You know what the problem is? I'm not content. I'm content, which means I'm okay with where I'm at. This is contentment. I'm okay with where I'm at, but I'm longing for more. What the church wants to do is repress the longing and just make us all content. We're content. We're all just content. Well, I'm content, but I know there's more. And I'm pressing towards the upward calling, the higher places that are found in him, the higher places that he has for me. That's what we're longing for. I'm just telling you the state of the church. I've been in this game for a long time. I know this. I don't, I'm not an engineer. I'm a practitioner. Okay? 
When it comes to churches, we, 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 we raise things up. I want you to be aware of what goes on. You're a Christian. You're called to things. You can make your choices. You're free. You're completely free. But we, we, we raise up technicians that just give us technique. The technique will take you only so far. It's the story of World War II. I don't know if you know the story or not. What shifted the war for the Americans is they got rid of the engineers and they put combat generals on the ground. That's what shifted the war. They had a submarine warfare at Bull Halsey in, uh, in the Pacific, and they had engineers that were running. They were wondering, why aren't our submarines our only offensive weapon? Why are we not racking up kills? And they evaluated it, and they said the guys, they evaluated that it was the captains running the ships. And they evaluated the guys that were running the ships, the, the, the submarines, because it was new technology. So they had all these techie heads running these ships. And they were running the ship very efficiently and very successfully, but they were not producing the results that were expected. And Bull Halsey called in the entire submarine fleet, got rid of them all, and found his most tactical and aggressive combat generals, and he put them in charge of the submarines. Yeah. Captain of a destroyer, you don't know the first thing about it, but you're successful. You're going to now pilot a submarine. I don't know what I'm doing. Well, we'll get you the engineers, but you're going to captain this ship. You're going to direct it. You're going to bloody the nose of the ship, and you're going to take it where it's supposed to go. Just a thought. We need boots on the ground that aggressively advance the gospel, Christian. We need to stop being engineers contemplating our navels and trying to please the people. And we need to rise up like sons and daughters that we truly are. This is what we truly are. The world is groaning. You might know that verse. Creation groans for what? The awakening. Of the sons and daughters of God. Oh, that's the resurrection. Who told you that? There's no reference to the resurrection in that, in that context of that verse at all. It's saying the world waits for the sons and daughters of the living God to recognize who they are and take their rightful place. That's what it's saying. Just the thought. <laughs> Moving into a significant future. Okay, I'm going to try to do this in 15 minutes. Here we go. Buckle up. Henry David Thoreau. Anybody know who he is? Yeah. He's credited with the first half of what I'm going to say, but he's not. They, they technically don't credit him with the last half, but nonetheless, this is oftentimes how this is quoted. It says, most people leave lives of quiet desperation, and they die with the song in their heart. Ouch. Most people are quiet and just have this deep, longing, desperate longing within their heart. They have something that they know they're supposed to give. They have something that they know they're supposed to bring forth, and they die never doing it. Is that what you want on your epitaph? When, when you died, did they want, she led a life of quiet desperation, and she died with her song in her heart. Do you want that written on your tombstone? <laughs> How about he gave it all? Or she went all in? You know? How about that? Success and significance. People that leave, that people that operate in success and significance. This is statistical. You can apply this in the business community. They evaluate these things. Barna said, "I give information to Disney, and they have an action plan within the week to apply it. I give the same information for free to the churches, and they put it on a shelf and let it collect dust because they feel it's irrelevant." They'll tell Disney, this is what, this is what, this is this, this is this, this is this. This is what's going on in a culture. This is what's going on. This is what needs to happen. These are the things that people value. These are the things that, you know, and they immediately act on it. Barna and he spend, they, they spend a, a 
a bunch of money. Barna's a believer. He gives the same data to Christians, and they don't apply any of it. Oh, that's wonderful. That's nice. Ooh, what a nice thing. Put it on the shelf. Success and significance. This is, you can research this anywhere. The most successful and significant people know themselves. What does that mean to us as believers? They know who they are. They know their identity. Do you? Do you know you're a son of the highest? Do you know you're a daughter of the highest? That's, again, not a poem. That's a reality. You're not a servant. I'm a son that serves. This is true. I was a sinner. I am no more. I'm redeemed. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. I'm an heir of this world and the one to come. That's a reality. I think like that. I act like that. I live like that. I don't live any other way. No one defines me except Jesus. And I refuse to accept an identity that's beneath the one he's established upon me, including myself. I will not put an identity upon myself that he has, that is beneath the one that he has established. I will not. Come on. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Loser. Who told you that? I'm a son of the highest. Jesus loves me on my worst day. He's for me when I'm against, when he, even when I'm against me. Who told you that? You cannot allow a world, a culture, even yourself or your family put an identity on you that's beneath the one Jesus has established. If you do, you're going to be, you, you'll never, it just isn't going to happen. This is, this is revelatory knowledge I'm giving you. You have to rise to the level of your birth. You have to rise to the standard. You have to begin to live like a son of the highest. You have to begin to live like a daughter of the highest and think that way. You say, I don't have a clue. Guess what? None of us do. We figure it out in process. There's no script for this. There's a direction, but there's no script. We have to walk it out. Success and significance. People that are successful and do significant things, they know their strengths. They know their weaknesses. They know who they are. They know their destiny and their purpose. They know what it is that they're trying to do. They know what it is that they're put on the earth to accomplish. They have a clear direction of their lives. It may be three or four things, but those are the three or four things that they're moving towards. They know what they can do. They know what they can't do. They staff their weaknesses and accentuate and develop their strengths. That's what we do in school all the time. You got a C in math and an A in English. Well, you need to crack the books on math. I never told my kids that. I said, I expect no less than an A in English. And I expect no less, no lower than a C in math. If you're a C student in math, I don't care because your strength clearly lies in English. Oh, we would never do that. We want our kid to be straight A's. And this is what we're trained with. You need to develop your weakness, develop your weakness, forget your weakness, staff your weakness and develop your strengths. Steve Jobs didn't even write code. Do you think Steve Jobs goes, I'm the head of a computer company. I better learn how to write computer code. Did he do that? Anybody know the story? Steve Jobs wasn't writing code people because he was weak at it. Steve Jobs was good at running a company and he staffed the weakness with people who could write code. Better than anybody else. He didn't sit down and go, I've got to be the guy that writes all the code because I'm, I'm Steve Jobs. I'm the guy walking around in front of everybody. That wasn't his goal. You understand that? But yet we're trained to, to, to work on our weaknesses. No, you, you staff your weakness and develop your strengths because your strengths are where it's at. It's not the line of thinking of the culture, but I'm telling you, it is God's kingdom. It's the way the kingdom thinks. Know your destiny, sacrificially pursue and develop yourselves and your lives towards your stated goals and purposes. These are what successful people do. I'm telling you what they do, right? You want success? Success shows up wearing work clothes. You want significance? Significance shows up wearing work clothes. You're not going to sit on your couch and eat Doritos and destiny's going to fall at your door. Not going to happen. 
Not going to happen. You sacrificially pursue and develop yourself into your strength. You sacrificially pursue and develop yourself into their stated goals and purposes. Recognize and align your thinking. Somebody ought to be taking notes on this, man. Y'all don't need to take a picture of that. This is good stuff. This isn't coming to you in a vacuum. You're not going to get this from Dr. Phil. This is Dr. Jesus. This is kingdom principles, kingdom ways I'm talking to you about. You have to recognize and align your thinking. All have been entrusted with gifts, talents, and abilities. Every single one of you in the room are given gifts, talents, and abilities. Period. You have them. You may not recognize them. You may not do anything with them. They may lie dormant. You may be completely ignorant to them, but you have them nonetheless. In Christ, you're given spiritual gifts. Most Christians don't even open that up, let alone the innate gifts that you're created with as an individual. God created you like no other. You have innate abilities. Yes, I got somebody on this side of the room that's happy about this stuff. That's awesome. I only need one. I only need one. You have talents and abilities. There are things that you can do that no one else can do. There are things that you can do better than just about anybody else around you. Seven billion people on the world, and you're probably in the top 5% of the people that can actually do the things that you do to the level that you do them. Whether it's kindness, compassion, intelligence, wisdom, whatever it may be. Whatever it may be. It can be linear things. It can be intangible things, or it can be intangible things. You have an ability that's beyond you. It's true. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand. You have an ability to grasp concepts that no one else can. And which what we end up doing, you know why? This is what we do. It's just like an athlete. An athlete that goes on a field has an ability. Most of the most gifted guys in athletics don't develop themselves to their full potential because they lean on their talent. Did you know that? The most charismatic people in the world never develop the personality behind the charisma because they lean upon their charisma. They never reach their potential because they figure, well, I'm good enough. I'm better than most. Yeah, but you could be great. You could be beyond. The ones that do, you see it. Jerry Rice wasn't the most significant. I don't know if you know this. You watch these guys. Larry Bird, watch what, if you study sports at all, if that's your genre, I'm hitting it all. Technology, sports, I don't know, marriage. You know, there's something in this popcorn bag for everybody, right? There's a prize in this Cracker Jack box for all y'all. But in, the, but in, the, in sports, this is what happens. Requires a willful partnership, and you have to develop courage. You have to understand and be aware of this, too. So, okay, not only do you have to realize that you have gifts, talents, and abilities. These are given to you. You have to be aware of that. You have to recognize your purpose. And you have to understand, Christian, this is, this is a great truth, but Psalm, it can be an inconvenient truth. You are accountable for your life. And if you thought about that, as a believer, you're accountable. All you got to do is, I'll give you the verses. Read Matthew 25, 13 through 30. So go home and read that. And you tell me if Jesus isn't going to hold you accountable for your life. The master went away and he committed talents to his servants. Would that be you? Are we servants? We're sons and daughters, yes, but we're always servants. He commits things. And what does he commit? He tells them, what I'm giving you, I want you to produce for me something, anything. And the ones that produce were rewarded. The one that didn't was severely, punitively spoken to (laughs) they were not just accountable for what they had been given you ready they were accountable for the potential that's a big theme within that verse 
He told the guy that buried the talent, he said, yeah, I buried it because I was afraid. And the Lord said to him, because you knew I was going to account from you, you got afraid and you didn't want to lose what I gave you. You should have at least entrusted it with the stewards. Minimum standard. That's why I tell you minimum standard of Christians is to be involved in the church. That's the minimum standard. Jesus at a minimum expects you to entrust what you've been given to the stewards. Who are the stewards? The Bible refers to the church, the collectiveness, the leadership, the church as whole as the stewards of the kingdom. Don't worry. The stewards will be held accountable. I'm well aware of that too. How I steward this gospel, how I steward this church, how I steward his word. I am accountable double than everybody else. Stricter judgment is upon the stewardship of the house. But to the believer, your minimum standard is to entrust your abilities, your gifts, talents, and resources to the stewards. Minimum. If you do anything beyond that, now you're exceptional. Most Christians can't even get to that point, unfortunately. All right, here we go. Your life is to be spent bringing Jesus' glory in the earth and developing yourself towards that end. At a basic level, what does this mean? How do we give Jesus glory? This is a broad concept. Let me give it to you real basic. Give Jesus glory through your family, through your children, through your home. The way you raise your children, the way you teach your children, the way you train your children, the way you forgive your children, deal with your children. Listen, I'm, I'm a parent raised two adult children. I'm in no, I don't know anybody that wants to give parenting advice having raised multiple adult, children into adulthood. Is there, you know, most parents don't want to give parenting advice after they've raised their own. They're like, no, no. I got nothing to say, right? But when we don't have children or when our children are little, oh, we've got all the advice in the world, (laughs) don't we? Come on. Some of you were that person. Both my children are adults. I've been through the teen years. My hair's white for a reason, right? It's not Gandalf going through, going through the, you know, (laughs) this is teenager, teenager one, teenager two. Can I get a witness? That's right. (laughs) It's not an issue of whether my children, my issue is, is how did I conduct myself with them? My home, my money, my body, my attitude, my workplace. This is how we give Jesus glory. Show up on time, not because your boss deserves it. Do your job, not because your boss deserves it. Because you do it unto the Lord. Develop and work with excellence. Why? Because that's what heaven expects of you. It's bringing glory in the earth, people. Simple ways. I'm giving you very practical and simple ways. The way you treat your wife. The way you speak to your husband, the way you forgive, the way you don't, the way you apologize, the way you don't. All of these things are by nature innate to the kingdom and they give him glory. I don't apologize to my wife because she deserves an apology. I apologize to my wife because the Lord commands me to. I don't humble myself before my wife. And I'm picking on my wife. I've been married 30 years. We know each other quite well. So she's not offended by anything I say. Right? (laughs) I don't humble myself to her because she's worthy of it. I humble myself to her because Jesus expects it of me. She doesn't honor me and respect me and speak to me in the ways that she does in kindness and affirmation because I'm deserving of it because I'm not. She does it because it is the Lord's way in her life. It's what she, what's the Lord commands of her. So when you're a Christian, we're to yield ourselves under the commands of Jesus and it brings him glory. And people go, well, how are you guys married for 30 years? People ask me this all the time. I got one word answer. It's called Jesus. They go, you're trying to tell me Jesus. Uh, yeah. Hopefully that opens it up to a broader conversation. My marriage is by no means not perfect. My children are by no means not perfect. It's not about perfection. It's about direction. Understand? (laughs) Future and survival. Okay, I'm going to try to get this. I'm trying to give you guys something that take away. Um, So we're going to talk about future. Most people are completely clueless. They drone with the masses. Most people have no ambition or desire for the future. It's in their heart. It's quiet desperation. But they just drone. Oh, we, oh, yo, oh. Oh, we, 
Yol, droning with the masses, droning with the masses. Nothing changes, nothing on and on, right? Don't be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by humanistic teaching and the craftiness of world deceit. That's where most people are. Everything that hits them, they just move all over the place. The world gets out of the way for the person that knows where they're going. Can I get a witness? <laughs> I could tell you stories. I won't. Your future and success, what does it mean? So most people, don't even, they're, they're surviving. They have a dream, a hope, a desire, a longing, a want. I know I have a reason. I know I have a purpose. I know there's something meaningful for my life, but I'm, that, that dream is on life support. Others, the future is in success. It's quiet, peaceable, content. Things are good. You're not where you want to be, but you're okay with where you're at. That's success. Say this. Success is, I'm not where I want to be, but I'm okay with where I'm at. That's what the Bible defines contentment as, which we would, I could relate it to you as being successful. Future insignificance means you're alive. Alive. You're in harmony. That's what it means. You're alive. Wow. This is what I was born to do. This is what I want to do. I would do this for free. That's destiny. That's calling. That's purpose. You're alive. Anybody want to be alive? Right? We can achieve success by doing things we don't want to do. But we can achieve harmony only by partnering with Jesus and coming to this understanding. Harmony is wow and wonder. We're responsible to partner with the Holy Spirit and elevate our lives in every area. It's God's call. It's to raise your life beyond where you are. We're supposed to move beyond survival, not settle in success, to pursue significance, and develop all that we have into excellence. God expects that what you've been given, that you develop it into excellence. That's his expectation. Good is not good enough. We're to pursue excellence. Excellence is not perfection. Excellence is maximizing it to its optimum ability. That's all it is. I'm never going to run a four-minute mile. But I... But I need to maximize my ability to the extent that I can. Do you understand that? Success can be achieved through obedience. Significance can only be achieved through relationship. You can achieve success through obedience as a believer. All you got to do is obey and you'll succeed. It's real simple. I just gave you five practical points that if you apply those five things into your life, you will succeed. But significance only comes through relationship. Only. We have to hear the heart of God. We have to listen to the heart of God. We have to listen to our own heart and relate our heart back to him and hear what he's saying in relationship to who we are. It's true. Significance only comes through relationships. Success can come through obedience, but significance will only come. They're barriers to your future. Ready? Say it with me. Ignorance. Oh, I didn't say you were stupid. I said you were ignorant. Right? Most people, they're ignorant. They don't know. Being not knowing isn't an excuse. God commands that when knowledge is given, that you repent, that you change your mind, you change direction. Once you know, you change. Because ignorance is no longer your excuse. God says he winks or overlooks ignorance. But when knowledge is given, he no longer, he no longer ignores it. He commands repentance. That's Acts. Arrogance. I think, I know what God's calling me to do. I know what my future is. I know what my calling is. I know what my purpose is, but I think I know better. Arrogance, big barrier. <laughs> good luck with that. That's what I like to tell people. You think you know better? Good luck. Jesus is the only good idea I have. I've told you that before. I have no good ideas. How do you come to that place? Because every good idea I had, I ran into a wall. And the Lord goes, are you done? Are you done, Kevin? Is it all over? Okay. Cowardice, knowing and hearing, and hearing it, but being afraid to enter into it. Attitude, worldly thinking, thinking in terms of this culture and not in terms of the kingdom culture. That's a renewing of the mind. 
A renewing of the mind is thinking from his world to ours, from his culture to ours. Low-level thinking. People think at such low levels. Low levels. Low-level relationships. Barrel of crabs. Everybody pulling you down. You don't want to stand out. If you want to be accepted, if you want to be accepted, you do what everybody else does. But if you want to be exceptional, you will not always be accepted. I'm just going to tell you that right now. You will, if you want exceptionality, you will not always be accepted. It's the way it is. People are going to want to keep you at your level. Anybody have family members that are like that? What, do you think you're better than me? You think you're better than me? You think you're better than us? It's always a competition, right? We try to level everybody out. That's not God's intent either. Low-level relationships, wounds, traumas, incepted lies from the past or aiming at the wrong target. I don't have time to develop any of these. I thought this message was simple, but it's completely gone off the rails with me. I'm like blowing it up. I thought, this is a pretty simple message. Lord, I thought, okay, this is good. So ready? This is the big thing. Ready? Here's your takeaway. Everybody say, here's the takeaway. Drum roll, please. What do you want? What do you, well, I don't know. Yes, you do. She had a woman tell me, I don't know. I feel confused. I feel confused. I go, what are you confused about? She's like, I don't know. I'm confused. I'm like, well, what do you want? She goes, I don't know. I said, ask the Holy Spirit. I said, Holy Spirit, what do I want? Boom. She goes, Holy Spirit, what do I want? She goes, I don't know. I go, bind the spirit of I don't know. Holy Spirit, what do I know? What do I want? She said, I want ministry. I'm like, oh, you want ministry. There it is. And you're confused because you know in your heart what you want, but you refuse to yield to it. Why do you want that? What do you want? Why do you want it? That's the next question. I want what Jesus wants. You know what Jesus wants? Jesus wants what's in your heart as it relates to him. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will... Right. We think that Mercedes Benz is the desire of our hearts. That's not what he's talking about. Jesus doesn't have a problem with Mercedes Benz. When we delight in our communion and discovery and light with him, he desires something in our heart. He gives birth to something in our heart. He germinates something in our heart. And that is the thing that he wants to give you. I want what Jesus wants. That's all I want. I just want the will of God to be done. You know what Jesus said? What do you want? What do you seek? Why are you following? What is it that I can do for you? Looked at blind Bartimaeus. He said, what do I want? Isn't it obvious? Yeah, it's obvious to me. But do you know what you want, Bartimaeus? Just a thought. What Jesus knows. Of course he knows. He knows what you want more than you do. It's not an an issue of whether Jesus knows what you want. The issue is, is, do you know what you want? That's the issue. That's the issue. Do you know? Most people don't. Most people are absolutely clueless. Identify your uniqueness and why do you want it? Why do you want it? So it's this. Say it with me. What do I want? And what is the motive behind it? You have to have a purified motive. People go like this. I'll, give you, I'll just give you. Well, I want to be married. And I go, why? So I'm not alone. That's an F. You fail. I want to be rich. Why? So I don't have to worry about money. That's an F. You fail. I want to be famous. Why? So people will like me. That's an F. You fail. Your motive is not purified. You're asking God for something that's related to you on a selfish level. James, anybody, any Bible people here? James, you ask and do not have, you ask amiss, or you ask because it's an indulgent question upon yourself. You're asking something solely for the purpose. I want to be married, Lord, so that I can learn in relationship how to better develop myself. I can learn humility. I want to be married, Lord, so that my spouse and I can reflect your glory, your love, your dysfunction, your healing, your restoration to the world. Oh, you've got his his attention. 
you now have his attention. So long as you're telling the Lord, I want to be married because I don't want to be alone, you're not going to hear that answer. You will not. Write it down. Write that down. Send that out on Twitter. As long as your, as your request is centered and selfishly motivated upon you, it will not happen. Does God want you married? 100%. If that is the desire of your heart. But he doesn't want to give you a spouse just so that you're not alone. He's given you his spirit so that you're not alone. That need has already been met. He's not going to meet that need. He's going to give you a person that it's, it's called an apostolic team. He, give, he brings two together for the purpose of one thing. Whatever it may be. My wife and I, although we're married, we love each other greatly. We're an apostolic team. We're called to accomplish a purpose together. That's what we are. He sent them out by twos. God doesn't have a problem with twos, but the purpose of the marriage is until you won't be alone. Most people, you know how many bad mistakes are made because people marry so that they're not alone? Can I get a witness? Horrible. Yeah, I got some witnesses in the back. Yeah. I want to be famous. I want to be rich so that I don't have to worry about money. No, I want to be rich, Lord, so that I can generously, sacrificially propagate the gospel into the earth. Oh, you've got his attention. But now he's going to say, what are you doing right now? Oh, you can't tithe right now? If you can't be faithful with the little, you will never be entrusted with the much. We cannot omit these things, guys. I'm almost done. Bear with me. Your motivations have to be purified. What are the barriers or your excuses? People go, I don't have the time. Really? Yes, you do. You have the exact same amount of time as I do. You have 24 hours. The Bible says we cannot create time. We can redeem it. Everybody say it with me. Redeem it. Right. Give up your HBO. Get up an hour earlier. Stay up an hour later. Redeem the time. We waste more time than anything. You say, I can't do that five days a week. Okay, I'll give that to you. Can you do it three Can you redeem the time three days a week? I can't do it three. Can you do it one? Can you redeem the time one day a week and begin to work on your destiny and your purpose and begin to seek God actively for such a thing? Can you? One day. One day. (laughs) Yeah, it'd be great if you could do it more than that. But hey, let's just start with a minimum standard, right? Can we, can we, one plus one equals two. Can you do one day? Monday's vision day. There's Tassan. I'm going to use you, Tassan. Okay. You guys, are you with me? Are you with me? No. All right. I'm going to close. I won't use it. I'll use it next service. So y'all are going to miss out. Nobody's wants to hear it. So that's okay. I'm fine. I'll share it with the next service. Okay. I know. Well, you can come to next service and I'll tell the next service. So the questions in the starting points, here we go. Last slide. Ready? I think you guys should listen, take a picture. Say it with me. The dullest pencil is greater than the sharpest mind. You will not remember what I'm telling you. You will not. You will not. What do you want? Specifically, why do you want it? Purify the motive. Identify the barriers and the excuses. Time is not a barrier. Time is an excuse. Money is a barrier Possibly, but money, like barriers can be overcome. Excuses need to be getting rid of. If you don't have money, you need to, you need to examine your spending and cut it. Oh, I can't do that. I have to have the, the new iPhone 652-AZ. I have to drive a new car every three years. Okay. Okay. The Bible says you're double-minded in all your ways. You're unstable. Don't think that you're going to achieve what God has set before you. 
Let that person believe they'll receive nothing from the Lord because you're prioritizing the wrong thing. You're prioritizing your vanity over purpose. Just a thought. And getting quiet. <laughs> Intentionally make the changes not the, no matter the emotional cost. Most people never cut the emotional ties. They allow their family, their friends, the attitudes, the actions of others to emotionally bind them and they can never move past it. You have to be willing. Listen, say this with me. Destiny is not an emotional decision. It's not an emotional decision. I'm not standing before Jesus with my family members. I know that's a shock. I will stand before the Lord by myself and I will give an account of my life individually. And so if my family members are placed above my calling, there is a problem. Now I realize, let me be generous here, there's seasons. Some of you are raising children. You're in a season. So there's going to be naturally limited times for you. You have a wife with two small kids or a small kid or something like that. You are just relationally, reality-wise, you are limited. But you have to work within the limitations You're limited. You're not defeated. You're not stopped. So there is a limit. Your kids need you. Your wife needs you. All that stuff's real. That's real. Okay? So accepting the reality, but not surrendering. Am I shooting this too high? Am I going too far? guys are quiet. All right. Anyway. Listening intently. Thank you, Carmen. (laughs) You have to apply the changes. You have to... Anybody know Alabama? Any Alabama fans here? I got one. There's usually an Alabama fan in every crowd. I don't know if you know that. There's, there's Alabama fans all over the place. It's crazy. I just watched an interview with Nick Saban. I'm almost done. Two minutes. I know. Point the clock. I know. I'm over. I know. I'm over. I'm over. I know. I'm done. I'm done. Nick Saban tells his players, and he's achieved stellar success, him and Bill Belichick. So some of you might be Patriots fans. I'm not. Anyway. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Dolphin territory there, buddy. I was just kidding. So they had an interview, and, and um, they were talking about the keys to their success. They were interviewing both of them. Anytime you watch Bill Belichick and Nick Saban in an interview, I don't care if you like, um, if you like either one of those teams, these guys have achieved stratospheric success. And if there, there's going to be keys and principles to what they achieved. And one of the things Saban said is he said, you have to determine what you want, what you're willing to do to get it, and how badly you want it, and what you're willing to do to get it. That's what you have to determine. What is it that you want? And what is it that, what do, what do you prioritize more than that? If that's what you want, then that's what you have to prioritize. And I could go further, but I won't. I'm out of time. Pointing at the clock, tapping my watch. I gotta go. Jesus loves you. We'll have a prayer team available for you, but let me, let me, just, let me just pray over you. Let me bless you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. May he awaken the dreams, the desires, the hopes, the wants, the longings of your heart. And may he give you peace, the grace to fulfill what he has called you to. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. We love you. There will be prayer available if you need prayer for anything. Thank you.